hello! Welcome to Didn't See It, Don't Need To, the special Oscars 2022 episode. Um, are you excited about recording today, Joshua? I am saying, because I have a vision for the future, that A, I'm very excited, but B, you're going to be able to tell this is a special episode because someone who works on this, the people who know what they're doing, the editor, the music author, and so on, is going to, I think, do something special and fancy to signal that this is our thrilling annual Academy Awards episode. Super excited for it. God, it's just such an exciting time of year uh, for the Oscars. Speaking of not watching things, will you be watching the Oscars? I probably will not. I am, you know, as always... Uh, the representative popular audience, which is to say, if I tune in, it'll be for the pre-show to check out the perp walk. Uh, and it's very unlikely that I would watch the show itself. Uh, I used to watch it all the time. I don't have anyone right now in my life who lives near me who would watch it in the same way that I would want to watch it. So I probably will not watch it. Um, Once upon a time, I worked in a bookstore, a sort of a famously hip New York City bookstore that no longer exists, of course. And we had a big betting pool, uh, which actually involved money, not a huge amount because we were all minimum wage employees. But we would we would fill out digitally, you know, uh, uh, we'd carefully fill out ballots and have a big, you know, 25 people would get together from the store and watch it. And one year I actually won and the 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 manager at the store who was very proud of his cinematic knowledge was actually extremely grumpy that that I had won as a relatively new employee and so I had to deal with an angry manager for like six months after that that's my story okay um there's nothing almost nothing more gratifying than beating somebody in a contest that you care nothing about that they care a lot about like I just can't I can't think of anything better than that. so true bestie that is a great minor experience in the world yeah I had that um, happen a, a, a little while ago, and it, god damn, was it great. <laughs> so what we're doing today is we're going to, we're just asking each other one bespoke question about each of the top five movies that we are not seeing from the Oscars uh, that were nominated for Best Picture. Um, is that enough of an introduction? Are we? Uh, I'm going to try it again, and we can use one of our two introductions. Okay. So, so our plan for this special o- Oscar episode is, of course, special. And it looks something like this. Each of us from the list of Oscar-nominated films chose five that we were most especially not going to see. And we gave that list of five to the other person who then wrote bespoke questions, one question for each movie, that we'll now be flinging at each other for the next 14 to 18 minutes. Thank you. You know, we just had a little contest and we'll see which one of us won. And I, I kind of have a feeling it's going to be you, but I don't feel like either of us care that much. So it's not going to be... I'm actually happy that you did a better job of describing it than I uh, than I did. And I'm sure Erica uh, Heilman will be happy as well. I really do have to go with um, Joshua on this one. Sorry, Sarah. So here we go. Um, I'm asking you the first question, and it is about the movie Nightmare Alley, directed by Guillermo del Toro. Didn't see it. And so that movie is about a con man who pretends that he can read people's minds. I really could not engage with the movie at all. So I'm just going to basically ask you a question that loosely attaches itself to this movie, which is who is a con man or woman, con person, um, con them, 
um, an operation right now that you that comes to your mind that you'd like to speak about for 40 seconds or something? I feel like there's a lot of good choices, you know, and we're in the era of the TV miniseries about the corporate exec who may or may not be a con person. You got your Theranos lady, you got your you got your Uber dude, you got Anna Delvian. I'm going to attack away from that category and I'm going to say Slavoj Žižek, right? Slavoj Žižek, who I, I will confess right now to having a close, intimate relationship with in the sense that I once spoke to him on the phone. He, you know, now is writing for a sort, sort of like reactionary social democratic new magazine called Compact. And I think he's legitimately smart, but I think he's also a certain kind of intellectual charlatan in regards to the relationship between thinking and politics. So I'm going to say Zizek because he's still playing it out, still famous, still getting paid, kind of a charlatan. That's my stance. Excellent and very interesting answer. I did not know, I knew a little bit about that, but I didn't know that he was explicitly writing for a journal of that sort. Very interesting. Thank you, Joshua. I appreciate the chance to have a petty opinion. That's basically what we're here for uh, on that topic. My first question for you, and I will admit this is one of those sort of questions that's for you, but it's kind of about me. They won't all be like that, but I want to admit that's the stakes for the first question, which is about licorice pizza. So when I was considerably younger, I had this friend named Charlie Gomez who lived in Long Beach and whose dad was the city manager of Downey, California, and I thought they were like terribly urbane people. Uh, And once we were listening to the song Brian Wilson, which is a a song by the band Bare Naked Ladies, who somewhat relevantly are Canadian. Uh, And the song opens with the line, drove downtown in the rain to the late night record store. Now, Charlie claimed that this was about the licorice pizza record chain in Los Angeles, which he said was the only place that stayed open till midnight. Do you think he was just making stuff up for me, a naive country boy? Um, What's the line again? Drove downtown in the rain to a late night record store. And he said that it was about what in L.A.? The record chain actually called Licorice Pizza, which is a real historical record chain. I think he was just making stuff up because Bare Naked Ladies are from Canada. And I also don't. I just I just think he was making stuff up. It could well be. I totally, of course, believed it at the time. But as I said, I was a bit of a bumpkin. Now, of course, I'm incredibly sophisticated and and so on. But at the time, you know, I literally had the world was a mystery to me. So thank you for confirming my worst suspicions. Um, From one uh, former major bumpkin to another, I would have believed him as well. Um, I had a babysitter once who told me that some water was wetter than other water. And I totally, totally, totally believed her. I feel like among our untold legion of fans, there's going to be some chemist who's going to write in and be like, well, actually, some water is wetter than others. I'm super duper looking forward to finding that out, but let's move on. As am I. As am I. Question number two. Oh, (laughs) what a coincidence. This question is about me, and yet it's for you. I saw a brief dance sequence from West Side Story like on TV or something I just happened to it happened to pass me by and I actually was like oh wow that looked really cool and I have thought about seeing West Side Story 
if I were to see West Side Story, the movie directed by Steven Spielberg, would that be a betrayal of you or our fan, parentheses, or just the didn't see it, don't need to project in general? Uh, First of all, I'm enthusiastic about this question because my next question is also about the theme of betrayal. Uh, so, so I'm glad that we're sort of dialed in on the same psychic wavelength. I don't think it would be, you know, I don't think any one of our fans would want for this show to be a kind of straitjacket which decided our actions at every moment for the future. And right, the, one of the things I think that's important about the title that maybe we should clarify is Didn't See It describes an accurate condition in the past. This movie has not been seen. But also, don't need to doesn't mean there's no need to see the movie. It's that don't need to to have a fucking opinion about it, um, right? But if one sees it in the future, I think that has to be okay. And I think that people would want that freedom for us. That's my feeling. Thank you so much. That feels, it feels really good and really um, affirming to hear that. I know. The, the part where you have a fantasy that there are listeners... And then you have a part two of that fantasy, which is that they like you and want the best for you. Why shouldn't we live in that world? I'm going to move on to my second question, which is about the film Power of the Dog. This is in some way my most serious question, because this is a question I worry about all the time. Is not seeing this movie a betrayal of Friday Night Lights, in which Jesse Plemons, who's the co-star of Power of the Dog, was so superb and charming and adorable I would not want to betray Friday Night Lights seriously. You know, that's a really good question because I thought, do I have to see this movie because Jesse Plemons is in it? And then I actually had a conversation with my partner's mother who saw this movie and said that it was incredibly punishing and boring at the same time, which is like my sort of le- like she, it was it was sort of hard to watch, but not also not that fun to watch or terribly interesting. And so even though I really like Jesse Plemons and I really like Friday Night Lights, I feel like you know since we're on the on the sort of theme of being self affirming that carries over from the last question, I feel like I have to be true to myself you know, before I'm true to Jesse Plemons and to Friday Night Lights. I feel like that's just the most important thing. And so I I think, yes, it is perhaps a betrayal of Jesse Plemons and Friday Night Lights, but I would rather betray them than betray myself. That is beautiful. Um, you could almost put that on a T-shirt. And I would like to note as a footnote that not only do I have a T-shirt that says, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose, but that I got that T-shirt also from my good friend Annie when she got tenure. Uh, and I may get that T-shirt for you someday because I, I'm, I'm committed. Moving on, I'm ready for my third question. Okay. This movie, Don't Look Up, directed by Adam McKay, is a, like a loosely veiled uh, allegory about climate change, which is about a comet. I can't even, like the extent to which I couldn't engage with the first movie like multiply that by a thousand. So Don't Look Up made me think of the Yes song, It Can Happen. Uh, It made me think of the Yes song, It Can Happen when they say, look up, look down, look out, look around. Do you remember that? It's like a, 
It's like a yes hit from the 90s. Okay, yes. Okay, of course. Okay, the fact that you've called that a yes hit from the 90s is going to get us a lot of angry tweets. And the Moving 80s. On. The 80s. Okay, sorry. It's just time, you know, at this point is like, whatever. Yes, for the 80s. Yes, yes, right. I remember it came out when I was like in 1985, probably something like that. So I would like you to talk about your opinion about yes for 40 seconds. I like how 40 seconds is the magic amount. I, pre- I appreciate that. So let's put some cards on the table. My first live concert ever in my life, yes. Uh, in At the Boston Garden, my sister took me the whole package. She liked yes, but I liked yes too. They weren't my favorite band, but she was going. You have to, your first concert, your sister has to take you. That's the rule, right? So that was, that was my option. Uh, and I'm in general a fan. I'm not sure I would describe that as a yes hit not because it wasn't a hit, not because it wasn't by Yes, but because I am true to the more or less original lineup of Yes, and that, like, owner of a Lonely Heart era was, you know, without Steve Howe on guitar. They brought in Trevor Rabin, as I recall. You ask a professional music critic, this is the kind of shit you get, Sarah Miller. So these are my feelings about Yes. You know, I haven't gone back and listened to them for a long time. I'm not sure I want to. I have recently discovered that a friend of mine, the novelist Kim Stanley Robinson, is is also a big Yes fan. So I think there's a possible future where he and I, like, make the mistake of, like, having some edibles and, like, listen to Yes and whatever. I, I can see that happening, maybe, but odds are against it. That's that's the end for me. Um, that is really exciting to learn that Kim's and unsurprising to learn that Kim Stanley Robinson is a Yes fan. Uh, my third question is also about Don't Look Up. I think from this point on, uh, we have a matchup of the movies we're asking each other about. So here's my question about Don't Look Up. Now, I think that you and I share the strong suspicion that this movie ain't it. But do you think it's possible that there's a politically helpful movie to be made about climate change. It's interesting that you should ask this question this week where I just listened to this podcast where uh, this guy was talking about one of the ways that liberal ideology functions is by having art rather than actual sort of uprisings be the repository of politics. Am I making sense? Like, people so think that, that I, but there's of course elaborate counter arguments which go well you have to have both and you have to somehow convince people of things and so on and so forth right um i guess i just was thinking about the ways that that happens not that that's necessarily like that art is like totally about that but just the ways that that happens so yes i mean i i i, I haven't read for example kim stanley robinson's book but a couple of people i know have read it and i feel like actually like if somebody made a just for example, uh, if somebody made a film out of that book, it might be a somewhat useful or at least interesting project that didn't... I mean, the thing about the Adam McKay thing that just... I, again, I, I, I don't even want to think about it because it's like, I don't... It's just like thinking about climate change is so sort of like depressing that when you're engaging with something like that ridiculous, you just think, well, why waste the moments on thinking about it? <laughs> That's sort of how I feel about his movie or the time to watch something like that. But the thing that I don't like about his movie is it's like, it seems to like blame individual people for causing climate change. Like it's our fault that we're not doing something. 
it's like an individualization of the problem of climate change. So a movie that was less like that, I think, might be successful or, or, or useful or interesting. Thank you very much. I, I, I'm, I'm uh, ready for my next question. King Richard is about Venus and Serena Williams' father uh, and Richard Williams and how he coached them and pushed them to become tennis stars. And one of the things that he always said to them was, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And my science teacher, when I was in eighth grade and seventh grade, I had the same science teacher for seventh and eighth grade, Mr. Lefebvre, um, also the men's basketball coach, the boys' basketball coach at my high school, who I liked, had mixed feelings about. He was kind of sexist, but he was kind of funny too. He used to always say that. And so my question to you is, is there a platitude or folksy wisdom from your grade school or middle school experience that you remember? Yeah, great question. So uh, in my high school, uh, this has some similar elements, high school, basketball, I'm going to bring it all together. So I was in, in high school, I was bad at almost everything. I was good in the creative writing class, and I was an excellent basketball player. For those listening at home who don't know, I'm quite tall. Uh, and so I was really pretty successful basketball player, and I was very committed to it and spent all my time playing, playing ball to the point where I would even sometimes miss class because I was shooting hoops in the gym. I went to a tiny high school. It was a combination gym, cafeteria. Uh, but I would take my moments. It was such a tiny school that it was very hard to get away with skipping class because there was nowhere to hide or anything like that. Anyway, once upon a time in 11th grade, if I'm not mistaken, I was after break. We had break at 10 in the morning. After break, I was just shooting baskets, uh, ignoring the fact that I was supposed to be in modern European history, MEH, or meh, as we now call it. And eventually I decided I should troop off to class. And so I, you know, 10, 15 minutes late, I climbed the stairs and walked into Ellen Kaplan, was the was the teacher. I walked into Ellen Kaplan's modern European history class. And I thought I was a great, you know, sort of... Uh, wit or or some something and she you know she stared daggers at me and i said better late than never and she just said without hesitation better never late and i was just like oh snap i just got totally bested by the teacher and um and i shut the fuck up and sat down and it was quite effective i don't think i missed or you know ditched more classes of of meh so uh yes indeed it happened to me as well now, I have a question for you about King Richard, and it is this. So the appearance and astonishing excellence of the Williams sisters was supposedly going to have the effect of making tennis less of a sport that rightly or wrongly carries the connotation of elitism. It was supposed to be a sort of democratization by way of racial and class representation. And of course, the same thing was said uh, for Tiger Woods, and that definitely didn't happen for golf, although it did open up a larger market for golf merchandise. Do you think calling this film King Richard plays into or against the narrative of the Williams as an anti-elitist force? That's a very interesting question. I mean, I'm sort of thinking of also the slang King, you know, that people use, which is, you know, probably wasn't heavily used 25 years ago, whenever he was starting to uh, get his daughters into tennis. So there's that. And I would say that that sort of destabilizes the eliteness of tennis, perhaps, if you think of it that way. 
uh, I guess I would say, I feel like what it makes me think of is kind of how much money both of them ended up making and like becoming like kind of royalty. I guess I don't think that anything can make professional sports less elite. I mean, I think that there's something, there's a way that they could become less segregated, but I still think that they would end up being like sort of all about money. I feel like I'm giving like a really boring answer. No, um, I think that's legitimate. I, I think it's a puzzle, right? Because professional sports by dint of being professional are all about money. I still experience a sort of cultural difference around, you know, the categories that require country clubs like golf and tennis and the categories that don't like, you know, football or something. Obviously, professional football is all about money. Who could dispute that? Nonetheless, it doesn't carry the connotation of eliteness that tennis and golf do, right? And I'm I'm, so I'm really particularly interested in uh, the sort of the status of eliteness and the promise that racial diversification and class diversification, it's important the Williams sisters are Again, like I, I don't claim to be an expert here, but 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 they're they're they don't have an elite childhood, right? And uh, they don't have a super wealthy childhood. Uh, so there's there's like both race and class diversification, and I'm interested in that in relation to, in particular, like the tennis golf sector of the sports world, as opposed to the sort of fake populist baseball football sector of the of the sports world hockey i don't even know what's going on but i accept your answer i'm ready to move on i do want to know if this has kind of become a sports podcast right we talked about uh your basketball coach in high school me playing basketball we talked about friday night lights really covering a lot of sports material here so we should maybe cross market a little bit cross market uh but before we do that i believe we have one more movie to address for both of us, it is your question. Okay, so the last movie, Belfast, is Kenneth Branagh's, who grew up in Northern Ireland before moving to, who grew up in Belfast before moving to England when he was nine or ten. It's Kenneth Branagh's sort of lightly veiled, like autobiographical story of his early childhood. And I asked a friend of mine who is uh, from Belfast, would you say like a lot of people have the opinion that if you said, oh, what were the troubles about or, or what are, you know, in such that they still exist? What, what are the troubles and what are or were the troubles in Northern Ireland about? Would they say Catholic and Protestant people not being able to get along? And she said absolutely that like most English people that she knew, she thought that that is absolutely what they would say. They would never use any, they would never use any other words to describe it, which would maybe more accurately represent the situation. So could you perhaps, as a Marxist, give an alternate accounting for the troubles other than Catholics and Protestants could not get along? I can try. That's a very complicated question. And this is, this is not a sort of like political theory podcast, really. Uh, I mean, but let me offer some, some sort of quick, quick notes if I can. Like, it's really interesting because there's been a, a debate just of, in the last few days about, it comes up repeatedly, about the relationship of Marxism to religion, like whether Marxism is kind of religion, what Marxists should think about religion. Is it truly just an opiate of the masses and just deludes people from from thinking about what's substantial in their life and gives them some sort of uh, refuge from the pain of, of actual material misery? Or is it somehow a necessary form of commitment? Or anyway... That said, I, I obviously don't think that the, the troubles and the history of Ireland, its 
uh, colonization, its division, its ongoing struggles uh, can be reduced to religious groups not getting along. But, you know, the thing that always just shocks me is trying to reflect on the history of British imperialism, which is almost impossible for me to get my head around, right? It's famously was the empire in which the sun never set. At every single moment, the sun was shining on, on, on some part of the world that uh, was, was under the imperial control and domination of, of Britain. And its remnants and wreckage still mark the face of the globe. So when I think about, you know, the ongoing division of Ireland, which turned out to be like the impossible sticking point for Brexit because they couldn't figure out how customs rules would work and who would be part of the EU and, and, and who wouldn't. You know, I just think about that long history. And it, 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 the question it raises for me, the sort of speculative question is, in the future wreckage of U.S. empire, which is certain to happen, it's already in the middle of wrecking itself, of course, like what will be the Ireland of the U.S., right? What will be that place which is still utterly divided, murderously divided, because of the, the history of having been colonized by the United States, uh, su- such that the destruction of colonization persists as daily misery and murderous uh, antagonism, uh, even long after the empire is completely decayed. Like, where, where will that thing still obtain for the United States? I'm not sure I have an answer, but it's something that's, you know, worth thinking about. Sorry, that was a bit of a long answer. I apologize. My question about Belfast is considerably shorter than that. I have put five items in the chat, but I'm also going to say them to you out loud. All I'm asking you to do is to rank the following five things. Normal people, Dairy Girls, Belfast, the Cranberries, and James Joyce. I realize you will not be intimately familiar with all of these in the same degree. I don't care. Just rank the five of them. Okay. Number one for me is going to be normal people. Okay. Number two is going to be James Joyce. Number three is going to be Dairy Girls. Number four is going to be the Cranberries. And number five is going to be Belfast. Okay. I totally appreciate you giving it a go. Uh, And I respect the ordering. I don't think it's the one I'd end up with, but uh, the question was not for me. It was for you. And I believe you have given us Sarah Miller's true truth. Yes, I have. If you know what that question, my answer to that question pretty much, pretty much sums me up, I would say. Um, Although I haven't really seen, I haven't really seen Dairy Girls. Um, I I, I keep meaning to see it and I haven't. So I put it in the middle as a sort of, I don't know, but I'm sure it's better than Belfast. And I don't love, I liked the cranberries, but I didn't love them personally, although I respect them. And I I really, really did not like, the song Zombie is one of my least favorite songs ever, even though I think it's probably a good song, but I don't like it. I hate to end the podcast on a negative note, but on that, we must disagree. Zombie is, in fact, a great song. Normal people, P.S., utter trash. Well, you know, it wouldn't be fun if we just didn't have different opinions about things, would it? I know, right? And moreover, different opinions is always a chance to bait our uh, regular listeners who do us the honor of listening to us, and then we just talk shit and bait them so, so that they're then compelled to, you know, somehow engage us about, like, how dare you? How dare you? How dare you? Normal people is superb. Also, the cranberries. 
we'll see what happens. We will. I look forward to it. I do too. And thank you to uh, my, my co-host, Joshua Clover. And thank you to our editor, Erica Heilman. Thank you to Chuck Lindo and to our graphics person, Rebecca Ackerman. Uh, you can find this podcast, hopefully wherever you can find podcasts. And also it is on therealsarahmiller.substack.com. And that's pretty much all we have to say today. Enjoy the Oscars or enjoy not enjoying the Oscars. And we will see you uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, I'll see you next time. Thanks again for having me. Uh, everyone take care. And thanks to everyone who works on the podcast. Didn't see it, don't need-